price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. A roast as dark as the night. Perfect for fueling the cryptid research and mad ravings required for your podcasting. Don't mind the red eyes. He's just trying to warn you of the bridge. The bridge. Finally, from the caffeine-addled brains of spring Jack Coffee and last podcast on the left, we bring you Mothman's Red Eye Blend. Yes, delicious Panama beans. Go to lastpodcastmerch.com to order yours today. <laughs> Hey everybody, it's uh, King DDD, I'm a wizard uh, Hold it, hold it Now that ain't there, no King DDD voice King DDD has <laughs> got oh, a weird like southern that. accent that is inexplicable oh, Dagnab Kirby gets eating my goddamn cakes and chickens. Ah, uh, never mind. I'm King uh, PPP. Oh, I piss myself. Oh, fucking idiot. Now, many people unfamiliar with the franchise knows that King DDD was originally going to be called King PPP until <laughs> Shigeru Miyamoto stepped in and let the team at HAL Laboratories know that that meant big, big pisses. Well, I just didn't, I guess you saw the dumb cartoon show we'll talk about more than me. Um, how does Kirby sound in that? Give, give me your Kirby bruiser, Jake. Poyo, hi. Ugh. Hi. I can't do Ugh. it. There's like something really specific. Hi. Poyo, hi. Poyo. Poyo. It's a Kirby. He's just a little pink puff baby man. It's, it's, it's. Yeah, he sounds like the kind of uh, person who has to introduce himself to everybody in the neighborhood by law as soon as he moves in. I mean, it's terrifying. Listen, I cannot candle the... I mean, obviously, we all wish we were Makiko Omoto, the Japanese voice actress who uh, voiced Kirby in the Smash Brothers series as well as the cartoon. But, you know, we just can't. We're just not female and Japanese enough to hit that level of kawaii-ness. That you people want. Also, uh, uh, I'm Bandana Waddle Dee. 
<laughs> I guess. Your bruiser, Jake. No, no, no. Well, today, of course, we're talking about Kirby. And hey, you know, a lot of times we have companion episodes. Uh, for instance, the Hot Topic episode is great to listen to alongside the Nightmare Before Christmas episode. Check out our Activision episode and then enjoy EA Sports uh, right after that. Uh, very, very similar brother-sister type episodes. And today, I would say after you're done with Kirby, uh, a great companion episode would be the HP Lovecraft episode. Uh, I thought you were going to say Smash Brothers. I thought you were no. going to say Smash Brothers. Dude, Kirby is dark and scary, bro. And we're going to definitely talk about the eldritch terror that uh, bizarrely is uh, coincides with the Kirby lore. For Kirby, I mean, I mean, I mean, okay, yes. Technically, every uh, single game except the first one starts with a little pink baby man uh, napping under a tree and thinking about cake. And by the end, he is literally firing uh, a laser of pure antimatter into the heart of a black hole <laughs> and conquering the concept of death. Maybe that happens a lot. But that's not what the story, that's not what the story of Kirby is. There's a giant, like, eyeball egg that shoots blood out of gashes, out of gaping wounds that open up on its torso in this game franchise. It is so bizarre. Kirby is such an odd feller, right? <laughs> I mean, in just so many, as King DDD would well, say. Well, he's uh, a feller in the West, but he is technically ungendered in Japan in his home country. Oh, his home fantastic. country. I, you know. <laughs> well, I will say this. Uh, let's get into the gush, right, Jake? Because I definitely have a relationship to this franchise. And it's it starts early in my gaming career because, you know, as we... Think back on our earliest memories. You know, childhood, especially video games during our childhood, it was it was rough times. I mean, you rarely saw a uh, credits roll on a game. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it was such it was such a limited experience with that. I mean, I mean, is this you know because what you would you would play Super Mario Brothers on the Nintendo, or you would play um, you know Ninja Turtles in the arcade and. Uh, these beat em ups and these platformers and all these things, and they were essentially made to get all your quarters out of you. Or um, in Super Mario Brothers, since uh, uh, take it home and not beat it in a single night. I'm looking at you, Crash Bandicoot 2. Damn it. Still remember that. It still pisses me off. I beat that game so quick. Ooh, it made me mad. So it had a purpose for being so challenging, but damn it, it just felt nice to beat a game every once in a while. And uh, the Game Boy was my first. I guess I can't say console, but my first, you know, thing at home that played fucking video games, my first handheld, my first console, whatever. And especially on the Game Boy, shit was hard, all right? Super Mario Land, I did beat, but, you know, it was the type of game where you didn't know, you know, if you sat down to play it, you didn't know it, whether or not you would beat it in a, in a run because it had so much challenge to it. That fucking Castlevania game on Game Boy can mm. eat my, can you know, I'm, you know I'm getting at. I can do something to my genitals, mm -hmm. all right? I don't know what it is, though. But Kirby's Dreamland, you popped it in the Game Boy. This fluffy, soft boy, he just floats around. You don't even have to worry about falling into pits because he floats. And he shoots things, and he swallows everybody up with ease. And he's just it's just this happy music. And even the bosses are kind of cute and fun and not, not really trying too hard. The tree's like, here's... An apple, that mm. might hit you. Oh, it didn't, did it? Hey, all right, now I got hit. You know what I mean? Just this friendly, 
simple. You could beat it on a single car ride to the dentist, almost. You know what I mean? I mean, it was just... I played it on a stream this week, and 20 minutes, it was in and out, done. I had yep. a blast the entire time. Because that's another yeah, thing, is any yeah. game can be easy. Right. But within that 20 minutes of Kirby, there is always... Every new screen has something new to teach you, some new mechanics, some new right. variation, uh, something to, you know, you can't turn away from it. Even though it is simple and it is easy, it is still immensely entertaining with tons of charm, tons of unique little challenges, tons of things to mix it up and curb and things are always moving. Things are always changing. Things are, you're always, uh, you're, you're never like kind of just given a repetitive task and then just left to your own devices. Mm -hmm. Whereas something like Super Mario Land or something like that Castlevania game or any sort, you know, there's tons Ooh, of easy that games. Castlevania game. Oh, tons of easy so games, but Kirby respected your time. Kirby had a statement. Kirby made it. And hey, if you really did love the game and wanted a challenge, there was the extra mode. You could actually have a challenging experience just by, I think it's holding up an A when you're at mm. the start screen is, uh, you know, it made things a little bit tougher. It made things a little bit crueler, but it's this incredibly engaging, fun, charming, aesthetically pleasing uh, miracle that ran as well on the Game Boy as like a high uh, production NES game did at the time. Yeah. Where so many other Game Boy games were just shovelware pieces of crap that barely Terrible. were. Yeah. Everything just... was either too zoomed in or too zoomed out. Mm -hmm. The Kirby Sprite has like a physicality. It bounces. It chirps. It, it inflates. It does all this stuff that it was going above and beyond what people were expecting on that platform. It is a level of polish throughout that initial 20 minutes. And that same level of charm and polish and uh, uh, innovation carries through through almost every single mainline series, part of the series, to the point where uh, I was playing the latest game, Star Allies, and I was having a blast. Yeah. You know, uh, I could, I had the option to, you know, load the screen with AI helpers and have the game play itself if I wanted to. But <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I was playing it like a real game. It wouldn't be Kirby without it, you know? And we were talking about just now, uh, if you're listening to this, like, uh, well, I guess you wouldn't be listening to this on the day of. Um, the day of recording this, Elden Ring is dropping. Mm -hmm. And it is like, so it's been really fun researching Kirby this week. Is It's like the anti-From game, you mm -hmm. know? It is it is there to guide the most beginnery beginner of players through a video game uh, experience. And it does a fine, phenomenal job of that. And it still maintains... Enjoyment, like you said, for you know even more skilled advanced players, just because, especially after the first Game Boy game, they start incorporating the um ab the ability to suck in the enemies and abilities. take on their yeah take on their form, and and so then it became especially with that Kirby sixty four game and the innovation of being able to suck in uh two different powers and have them combine in a really interesting fun way. I wasn't playing the game because I was like, oh man. Got to get through this Kirby game and experience that thrill of of battle. But it was more just like, oh, I wonder what this will do <laughs> if I mix the sword with the wind ability. You know what I mean? And it's just like, oh, cool. It does that. That's neat. And like, I loved in that game. And it's funny because you look back on that game and it looks pretty like 
whatevery, I think, in hindsight. But most um, N sixty four games do, to be honest. Yeah, but I would still go back and play that one just because it, it because of that. That was like a really fun mechanic, and I think they just really figured out in this franchise. Um, more than most, how to make like a super fun game for beginners that is also just an enjoyable romp for the more skilled player. And as we move on through the series, how to have both of those players playing at the same time and enjoying themselves, or up to four players. And with this new game coming out, and I think it was so time for it, just based, especially based on working on, you know, doing the research, because my eyes started glazing over with all these Kirby titles, and largely... They're they're pretty samey the mainline games after a while, but that doesn't mean they're not fun and great. It's I'm so excited for this specific, new Kirby game. Uh, Kirby goes through phases of development where usually there's yeah. a different director at the helm who guides the franchise. They kind of settle in on a graphics engine, and then they kind of uh, make a you know make a few sequels based off of that. There's you know the eight bit era. There's the so called dark matter trilogy. We'll get into there's it. There's the uh, you know the portable, the Game Boy Advance titles uh, that were done by uh, kind of a mix of outside developers. And then how Laboratories got back into it with the uh, Return to Dreamland, which introduced this like two point five D, lots of helpers, uh, uh, solid platformers, and that basically carried us through. 2022, where finally they are going to jump up and uh, introduce a new style of play uh, with a fully 3D Kirby game. And of course, everybody's favorite meme, uh, Vorkar Kirby. (laughs) Yes, I'm so excited for this new game. It's definitely uh, feels to me very much like um, essentially an iteration on Mario Odyssey, except for Kirby is the hat this in this game. Like Mario could throw his hat on different objects and like take their form and be able to do different things because of it. In this, in this game, Kirby can suck up enemies and take on their powers, but also he can, oh, I love the name of it. What is it called? It's like big mouth mode yeah. or something like that. What the uh, mouthful, what, mouthful mode. Throat goat mode. Throat goat yeah, mode, I believe it's called. I call it Python eating an alligator mode. <laughs> he essentially like sucks in something so huge that he like just takes the shape of it and can, you know, get through different puzzles using the ability that that comes with or have different uh, attack abilities as well. And uh, I think that is a great new iteration. And it's the first fully 3D Kirby game, which is wild. I mean, we have only, even in that uh, Kirby 64 game, it was one of the rare N64 iterations on franchises that was still a 2.5D as opposed to, it had some kind of illusions of three dimension, but for the most part, it was to, uh, uh, still another 2D platformer. So it's cool. It's cool that they're doing this with this. I, I hope it reinvigorates the whole thing. Another thing about the Kirby legacy that I think is super important is how he's become this like Hello Kitty-like mascot for the kawaii cute side of gaming. Whereas, uh-huh. uh, you know, in a, a thousand bedrooms all over the planet, there is a little stuffed Kirby. You could like base your entire aesthetic on Kirby. This like children's illustration, candy and stars and planets and these cute little characters. He's pink. He's pink. And if he, we go into the history and his marketing in America, Nintendo of America hated that he was this pink, cute creature uh-huh. and constantly tried to undercut what really is one of his biggest appeals, which is he's such a basic design. So He's literally shaped like a friend. With just these big eyes, this neutral expression, or a beaming smile. And uh, it just became this incredible focus point for fangirl culture where, uh, you know, 
you wouldn't want like a Sonic the Hedgehog or um, uh, Marcus uh, Gears of War in your room. But like, you know, you can you can make things cute with a Kirby aesthetic. It's he's like this valuable uh, kind of uh, handhold between aesthetic, cute culture and video games that makes him so ubiquitous, even more so than the 38 million uh, copies of Kirby games that have sold over the years. He, the games are good. Uh, the story behind him is good. The weird uh, edginess of his cosmic journeys, the weird ways that he has been marketed over the years, and the entire idea of, uh, of Kirbyism as a game design philosophy makes this such a vital and important franchise in gaming history. And I'm so jazzed we finally get to talk about it. Hell yeah, dude. Let's get into it. Kirby, the action platform video game series developed by the legendary HAL Laboratory and published by Nintendo. Kirby, of course, also uh, is... uh, Kirby is a round, pink, cute little guy that can swallow up his enemies, absorb their powers, making him not unlike a horribly fearsome god we'll get into it but to talk about kirby we must talk about kirby's creator masahiro sakurai uh you may remember the name from our smash bros episode he is also the mastermind behind that franchise which is of course why he will dip out of the kirby mainline games uh after a certain point uh, because he will end up being consumed some say Far too consumed. You say by consumed. These Smash I'd argue imprisoned. <laughs> <laughs> too good. Pro- uh, a victim of his own success, one might say. Uh, Sakurai had a deep love for video games from an early age. He said the invader boom, uh, referring uh, to Space Invaders becoming a big success in Japan, the arcade game. Uh, The invader boom was in 1979. At the time, I was eight. Sometime between then and when I was 12, the Famicom was released. I was in elementary school at the time. He would go with his parents on Sundays to a local supermarket where he was given 200 yen and literally allowed to just wander off on his own. And so what he would do is he would go straight to what he referred to as as the, quote, game corner, as they were not even referred to as arcades at this point. It was so early on. He would uh, Once he was done with his uh, coins, uh, uh, he would have to spend them very wisely uh, in the arcade. He would then go to a hobby shop, and that is where he could play demos of all the newest games and experiment with all the new hardware coming out. And that's where he first put his hands on a Game & Watch, uh, which is the precursor for the Game Boy. Of course, Kirby's going to make his first appearance on that. His first ever con- console was the Nintendo TV Color Game 15. Jesus. Yeah, right? Early adopter, early enthusiast, uh, for sure. Sakurai said, every game and piece of technology glimmered in my eyes. It was blinding. It might be childish to look back at it now, but there were many surprises, and I was always having fun. I will never forget these games that touched me when I was just a kid. And I love that, because how many fucking kids did he bring that experience to? Uh, I think it's really amazing that he was able to bottle that vibe and that feeling. Because again, like Kirby did instill in me as a child this really this great excitement. I was like so... Because I don't think I ever owned Kirby in Dreamland, so it was always a like friend's car. Cartridge ah. that I would get to enjoy on like a trip. I can't remember. Maybe I had, but I'm pretty sure it was that game where I was like, oh, hell yeah, Kirby, I'm playing the shit out of this for the next 20 minutes of my life. Then there's HAL Laboratory. HAL Laboratory had been going strong since 1980 as an independent developer that worked closely with Nintendo, starting with the release of Pinball for, for the Famicom in 1984. 
Sakurai said, I joined HAL Laboratory when I was 19, and soon after I was hired, I created the planning docs for Kirby's Dreamland. Nintendo at the time, they needed games for the Game Boy. Uh, Game Boy, of course, created by Gunpei Yokoi uh, in 1989. Uh, and so the assignment from Nintendo was simple. Create a game that anyone could pick up and enjoy. An action game for beginners is the quote. An action game for beginners. Makes sense, right? A lot of people are playing video games for the very first time ever on a game boy because tetris was just like any age anybody could get into it it just would totally suck you in for the first time ever you were not just seeing kids playing video games i feel like it was a lot more common for a parent to have a game boy obsession with tetris you know and for just all ages getting into it so of course they want to turn them on to maybe ex- gaming experiences they they haven't necessarily touched before so that is why he was tasked with uh, this mission and that's how we got to Kirby. So Hal Laboratory, uh, funny enough, the name Hal is a reference to 2001 A Space Odyssey. And also every letter, H-A-L, yes. is one up in the alphabet from IBM. Yes. Uh, if you look at their old logo before they had the freaky uh, dog nest bosom thing. With eggs. Yeah. yeah. First of all, look up that logo. If Talk about cosmic yeah, horror. Yeah. You've played Smash before. You know what that logo is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was supposed to be a play on IBM. Uh, and yeah, by this time, they were solidly a second party developer for Nintendo to the point where on the uh, original Kirby, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto was helping to produce it. And uh, Satoru Iwata was a producer on the game and he would end up becoming the CEO of Nintendo eventually. Uh, Satoru Iwata of Iwata Asks. And, you know, this is Sakurai's first game. And already he has this very deep belief in a philosophy for accessible gameplay. Um, in an article, uh, which which one is this? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. This was a uh, Tokyo Game Lounge podcast uh, from 2002. He says, uh, I think most games are designed to appeal to the players at the top of the pyramid, but I think it's more important to aim for within the population of people who play uh, video games, the people who are at the bottom. Uh, I mean, it's rude to say it that way, but the players at the base, where it's wider, people who on a basic level don't care that much about video games. That audience, you would probably call them the family audience. Having something that appeals to them so that they can play is vital, I think. And um, immediately, individual decisions and his design documents are coming together. Uh, He wants to have as few button inputs as possible He uh, is trying to kind of create an anti-Mario in a lot of ways, where in Mario, you do these uh, precipitous jumps. If you, uh, you know, you have to get close to enemies to jump on them. But if you miss your jump, you die. If you miss the pit, you die. All these things are immediately punished. So uh, he's just all he's just creating concepts at this point where. You know, Kirby can get hit a couple of times, and it doesn't mean the game is over. Kirby can, uh, well, we don't want him to... Fly over the pit. (laughs) He can fly over the pit. Uh, This starts creating all sorts of extra questions, like, well, how does he not fall in the pit? He floats. How does he float? Well, he uh, sucks up air. Well, if he sucks up air, can he suck up enemies? Yeah, that's that. you know, that way there's one less uh, button. The attack and spit button is all the same, and you don't have to be that close. Uh... Uh, famously, uh, Kirby's design was supposed to be a placeholder, just a little circle man uh, for the sake of uh, Sakurai's notes. And we're like, and we'll think of something appealing uh, later. But it turns out 
The guy just loved his little circle man too much. Sakurai said, I needed a dummy character to represent what the real character would be doing in the game. I just put a Kirby-shaped blob in my presentation as a placeholder, but everyone liked it so much, we decided to keep it in the game without any major changes. And I love the little, if you remember the beginning of, is it the uh, NES game where they teach you how to draw Kirby? Yeah, Kirby's Adventure. First you draw a circle, then you dot the eyes. Do a big smile, and then you dead is Kirby. Love it. And of course, uh, but this character was definitely going to be called the memorable name we all remember, Twinkle Popo. Twinkle Popo. Uh, yeah, that was the, the the. Actually, I have he was the character was initially called Popopo. So you had King DDD and Popopo, and the name of the first game was going to be called Twinkle Popo. Ah, okay. That's uh, I'm, I, I, I'm working I, on I, the schmuplations. I might be right on that. No, well, you're right. Schmuplations. Unbelievable. I'm gonna have to send a letter to their editor, <laughs> Mr. Schmup. No, uh, uh yeah, yeah, uh, DDD. Uh, po po and uh, supposedly Dreamland or whatever you know, pop star was supposed to be called Poo Poo Poo, which I'm glad <laughs> they consulted Nintendo of America and <laughs> beforehand because oh boy, it would have been a way harder sell in America if it was Po Po Po's <laughs> Adventures in Poo Poo Poo. I've had some adventures in Poo 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 myself. If you know what I mean, Jake. I'm According to producer Takeo Shimizu, um. We wanted American kids to enjoy this game, too, so we asked Nintendo of America for their suggestions. Kirby was one of many that they sent us, and it caught my eye when I first saw it. I remember Gasper was another one. There are actually a lot. Miyamoto then uh, adds, We wanted a name that would sound like an American idol, but Kirby was actually the name of an important lawyer at Nintendo of America. Yes, indeed. You see, there was a little-known character at the time, and by little-known, I mean widely known, named Donkey Kong that Nintendo had created. And uh, there was also a very successful property out of Universal. We did an episode on it, uh, King Kong. And they felt that this was a copyright infringement. And it was this man, John Kirby, spent about two years in a legal battle with Universal, ended up winning Nintendo a bunch of money. If they had lost that case, that might have sunk the company. So when they won, uh, Nintendo not only uh, named the character after him, uh, but also gave him a boat named Donkey Kong uh, as well as a big sign of things. If you uh, listen to our King Kong episode, it is one of my favorite stories because uh, in that lawsuit, uh, John Kirby ended up proving that not only did Universal technically not even have the rights of King Kong as they uh, said in their original suit, it was in fact a legal minefield over who actually had those IP rights around that time. Uh But Universal actually licensed a King Kong game that stole elements from Donkey Kong. And that one-two punch of, like, you can't even bring this lawsuit. Also, you stole shit, too. Uh, Just gave Nintendo a huge win in that case. Price drop. Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So this game comes out. It ends up selling 1.5 million copies. Sakurai said, I was very lucky. When Kirby's Dream Land came out, the Game Boy was in a relatively solid position. And Kirby sold equally well in Japanese, American, and European markets alike. That's a very rare thing. And it would set a precedent for the Kirby franchise. Usually you get a Kirby release well into a console's life cycle. And so it does uh, great use of the hardware. Uh, or makes great use of the hardware. Which is incredible because uh, famously, this game was programmed on a uh, twin Famicom system, which was a, I didn't even realize this is how it worked, but Mm. apparently a lot of dev was done on Famicom hardware for Game Boy games. It was a combination uh, Famicom with a cartridge slot and a disc system uh, with their proprietary floppy things. Sakurai did the graphics by hand and coded it by hand, and the damn thing did not even have a keyboard. It had wow. a trackball system yeah, yeah, where yeah. he had to roll and type each character individually, which many argue is how they got to fit so many uh, like large sprites on the system and have it run so smoothly because everything had to be coded so deliberately. There's tons of like fun little workarounds that made the game fit and made it feel bigger and more expansive uh, technically than other games at the time. So it's easy stuff like um, using all the memory uh, for sprites on King Dedede on his level because he's literally the only character in the level. Characters like Gordo, the little spiky guy, is literally just a one-quarter sprite flipped and rotated uh, four times to create the ring of spikes. Characters like Waddle Dee and Waddle Doo are identical except for like a single sprite uh, or tile in the middle for where their face should be. And it's just an incredible achievement that they did all of that on the dinkiest hardware possible. Another huge thing about Kirby's Dreamland is the work of Jun Ishikawa, the composer on the title, which gave birth to insane uh, classic tracks. Uh, April, I'm going to ring off a lot of them right now, but uh, the classic Green Greens original composition, which makes its way throughout the franchise and has been remixed to Oblivion. Yes, awesome. Classic. Um, and uh, the Mount DDD theme uh, comes in this point, and it is so driving and so intense, and it kind of just lays out this Kirby audio style that I feel like uh, just gets, is so addicting. And with that success and the premiere of uh, the brand new Super Nintendo hardware, that's when HAL Laboratory goes whole hog and makes a game for, oh, this this one's for the, the old Nintendo. Right? Again, super late in the console cycle, Kirby's Adventure comes next in the franchise on the NES released in 1993. Sakurai, of course, returned as director and designer with production help from Satoru Iwata and Shigeru Miyamoto. You may know them. Um, he uh, ended up... Um, well, he's, let's let's just say he was sitting out back of his house one day. I swear to God. And he saw it. a cave in the distance. And he was like, oh, wouldn't it be <laughs> interesting if I walked into that cave? And so he walked into the cave and he saw 
this monster eating a man. As a 38-year-old. He, he was the shape of the man, and he was like, that's an interesting concept. So in this game, he ends up uh, incorporating essentially that. He ends up incorporating the copy ability. Uh, Sakurai said, next I made the Famicom version of Kirby. We added Kirby's copy ability for that game. The idea was that this system would allow both beginners and veterans to enjoy themselves. New players could have a good time just inhaling and exhaling enemies, while for advanced players, the copy abilities would broaden the scope of the gameplay itself. Uh, the team had created 40 copy abilities at first, uh, and then they whittled them down to about a handful that you get in that first NES game. And uh, yeah, initially he was actually asked to port Kirby's Dreamland over to the NES, but he just felt that the player base for the NES was just a bit past the beginner stage, that he couldn't just put Baby's First Platformer out on the NES at this point because the NES had been around for a while. I mean, I'm assuming uh, Mario 3 has come out at this point. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. we are like we are like way into... like pe- People know platformers at this point. Like If you have an NES, there's very little chance you don't have at least a... Mario game that you've played quite a lot on there. So he knew he couldn't just like port that Dreamland game over. And so yeah, he uh he ends up creating this new concept with the copy abilities, creating a new game for the console. It's still easy, it's still breezy, but uh you know, there's just a little bit more going on there. They have the mini games that they introduced which would become very standard for a Kirby release and uh they also introduce the uh, the legendary, the infamous character, Meta Knight, mm. in this first Kirby game on console. One big point of contention, actually, when this game came out, because as you might remember, the first Game Boy was black and white graphics. Uh, Kirby's color, or I guess like green, like puke, yellow, and... A, a pale, sickly green, technically. <laughs> and gray on the original Game Boy. Uh, the, yeah, the, there was a big uh, point of contention around Kirby's color. Sakurai had always envisioned Kirby as pink, but uh, the uh, powers that be at Nintendo always felt that he was yellow. Um, which is kind of, I believe, on the uh, box art for Kirby, uh, Kirby's Dreamland, he is like white, white yellow, right? I don't believe he has a pink color. I remember as a kid feeling uh, my fragile uh, boy masculinity threatened when I saw on Kirby's Adventure they had made him pink, and I was like, oh man, <laughs> uh, this is going to get me slightly more beat up than usual. <laughs> Get that kid. He likes the pink Kirby. Uh, But uh, yes, uh, Miyamoto specifically thought that he should have been yellow uh, because of characters like Pac-Man and Nubo, which was another popular Japanese mascot at the time. Uh, That being said, in perpetuity, whenever there is a default player two in a Kirby game, yellow Kirby is usually the default there. And that's why my friend's nickname in high school was Kirby because he had a pinkish color and he was round and fluffy boy. So there you go. That uh, it's funny though because as soon as he was formally pink, every single Nintendo commercial in the West went out of their way to make sure that like you, because again around this time in the '90s, Sega of America changed the game with their in-your-face, brash, hyper, like rude marketing materials. And Kirby says, "Get wrecked!" Literally, you know what, April? Uh, I'm put in a little bit of this uh, audio that I'm sent that I sent you from the Kirby commercial from the '90s. What are friends? Friends are there to pick you up when you're feeling a little down. Friends are there to rearrange someone's face when they're acting like a clown. 
Friends are a hamster, a fish, and an owl in Kirby's Dreamland 2. If you ain't fighting on their side, well, man, I'd pity you. Kirby's back in the Flappy One brought three rowdy friends. It's a punked up, powered up Kirby in Kirby's Dreamland 2. New for Game Boy and Super Game Boy. Will you be my friend? Kirby's Dreamland 2! New from Nintendo. It's fucking crazy. Kirby, like, kills cats. Kirby, like, beats dudes up. Kirby has a gun and a cigarette in one of these. They really, really just had to be like, he's not cute, all right? It's You're you're dumb if you think it. He's, he's a warrior. He's a goddamn animal. He'll kill you. He'll kill your family. <laughs> he smokes cigarettes. You should try him, too. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was a different time back then. And I did smoke cigarettes. <laughs> Sorry. Mom and dad. It's a technical achievement. It uses uh, every trick in the book that had been learned up until that point. It uses extra memory map chips uh, to increase the amount of graphics RAM. It is technically the biggest Nintendo game formally made uh, in terms of just a uh, ROM size. It is. It's there's a reason why it holds up so much. Uh, Kirby's Adventure is one of the first games I recommend if somebody's like, "Hey, I want to play an old Nintendo game. What should I play?" I, I immediately say Kirby's Adventure because it holds up yeah. so well. It plays like, uh, you know, there's so many indie games where people try and capture that like 8-bit polish and Kirby nails it so hard. Like every other, the, the games that you remember playing well, then you revisit them and they're just like kind of janky. Kirby plays as well as you remember it. It is a truly phenomenal accomplishment in uh, Nintendo development. It's truly an incredible game. It's awesome, and it's so playful as well. And, you know, we saw that when we were watching a uh, little gameplay video during our study session, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Every Sunday we do the study session, $10 or $50 a month. Uh, we saw later in the game, he uh, one of the final levels is him, like, doing a throwback Game Boy level. Yes. Which I feel like is something you didn't see that much. Like, he goes into the black and white, it, like, looks like the Game Boy game for this level and i feel like especially back then i mean think that's a lot more standard now mm -hmm. especially with the way nintendo loves to like give you constant nostalgia blasts but like back then that was very rare to see something like that and we were all like whoa this is so cool that they did this so long ago on the nes it also introduces a long-running thing where uh this is the first game where uh kirby tracks down ddd uh DDD is like, no, don't put the magical star rod back in the, in the dream right. fountain. No, no, no. Uh, and it turns out he was actually trying to prevent the arrival of a cosmic nightmare entity. And all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. the music starts blasting and you start flying through space and shooting star beams at a You literally monster start fighting a Castlevania boss, yeah. uh, essentially. A guy looks, he literally looks like Dracula. He's completely out of place. And it does be, start the precedent of... Hey, this is a cute, fun, happy, curvy game. And then at the very end, you're just like, and now it's a Neon Genesis <laughs> Evangelion angel battle to the death, to, you know, all that kind of stuff. He's, he goes insane at one point. Kirby, like, like sucks himself <laughs> up uh, into himself. It's a whole thing. We'll get to more of that later. But uh, first... We do have uh, one of the strong, one of my strongest Game Boy memories. I do have to mention is definitely uh, Kirby's Pinball Land. I won't spend too much time on it. It was also done by HAL Laboratory. You can even see some of that DNA thread from uh, their first game for the Famicom Pinball back in '84. The as game, as well as Revenge of the Gator. Yes, Revenge of the Gator is more of a one-to-one -one on this, and um, that it just did a really interesting job of making like 
levels in a pinball game, like kind of giving you like almost a sense of like platformer levels in it combined with pinball. The game released in 1993 and was a relentless fucker. And I wrote this down that has remained unbeaten by me to this very day. Fuck off, pinball. I love you and I hate you. Also, the first game uh, got a sequel, Kirby's Dream Land 2, released on the Game Boy in 1995. This is the first major game in the series that was not directed by Sakurai, but instead was done by uh, Shinichi Shimomura, who also ends up doing Dream Land 3 on the SNES and Kirby 64. So it becomes more of a baton series. Yeah. Like, whereas, you know, of course, uh, the creator, um, uh, even uh, Sakurai, uh, he, he, you know, there's not a, at least not yet, is there a Smash game that's not associated with Sakurai, right. right? He's like, he is Smash. Whereas Kirby is more of a, hey, what could you do with the franchise? What would you like to do? You you get a few games and you get a few oh, games. Yeah. It's the Oprah's car of Kirby becomes Nintendo the properties. Mario of HAL Laboratories. And with a such a prolific uh, library of games and incredibly creative uh, developers, you know, there's literally no reason not to put Kirby in games now that you have an established franchise and a fan base to work with. Uh, Kirby's Dream Course, which was this incredibly fun and dynamic 3D golf game that uh, started I, in Japan. It's called Kirby Bowl. Uh, started as a uh, game that Hal slapped together for Nintendo's Satellaview, which was this insane like subscription special hardware thing full of like lost Nintendo media. But uh, it started as a Howl game called Special Tee Shot, and it was just a generic golf game. They introduced the Kirby universe and the power-ups and all the uh, landmarks of a Kirby game, and it becomes an all-time classic. People love uh, Kirby's Dream Course. Uh, less impressive, Kirby's Block Ball. <laughs> also around this time is the Puyo Puyo game called Kirby's Avalanche. And this just establishes the precedent for like, oh. Kirby gets very similar treatment as say a Mario where there's like, a, there's the mainline series, but then there's also a ton of spinoff you know, Kirby, you know, there's a Kirby Kart game with Air Air Racer, right? I believe, which is uh this bizarre thing. Uh and, you know, uh, and and yeah, there's a golf game that there's a million Kirby spin-off games starting around this time. Which and you can tell that Kirby like all these spin-off games aren't from the same dev team because Kirby's Avalanche is a weird fever dream. I mean, it is just straight <laughs> up a Puyo Puyo game in standard gameplay. But in the uh, Kirby has these like outro quotes whenever he beats an enemy in this game that are so uncharacteristic. Uh, he tells the wispy wood tree, I feel like some apple pie. He's like insults Cracko. He's, sarca he's uh, sarcastic. He's rude. He, it's insane. Another strange Kirby spinoff is Leisure Suit Kirby. No. A very horny Kirby Lies. goes around. Had ogling at women's breasts and fondling their uh, their genitalia. It's very upsetting. Um, no, that's not true. But I will say Sakurai does return as director for Kirby Superstar, released on the SNES in 1996. This is an interesting one. I don't have a memory of this. This is more when I kind of go dark on Kirby mm -hmm. for a little while. I get back in on Kirby 64. You played this, though, right? It's very bizarre. It's broken into seven smaller games along with two mini games. So you've got uh, Spring Breeze is actually a remake of Kirby's Dreamland, but with the copy abilities added, some levels 
Souls merge, some boss fights cut, like a bit of a remix of that initial Game Boy game. Then there's a there's also a racing game called Gourmet Race, which has Kirby Racing King DDD also while trying to eat as much food as possible. It also uh, is where the all time banger in the entirety of the Kirby history comes in. Uh, April, you know I'm going to ask for it. Please give me that good, good June Ishikawa magic with uh, the music track from Gourmet Race. Fucking classic. There's even like a Metroidvania type adventure called the Great Cave Offensive Mm -hmm. where Kirby's going around finding treasures. Uh, It's really, really, you play it. Did you play this? Oh, there's uh, also the Meta Knight, uh, the Meta Knight adventure one where they almost have a kind of, um, it's almost like a Metal Gear Solid running codec commentary as Kirby (laughs) makes his way through the game. And his and Meta Knight is commenting with his minions on what you're doing on screen in this very uh, dynamic presentation for the time. I'm sad I missed this one. I'm sad I missed. I never played it at the time. I think I was also a little Kirby'd out by that point. Um, But uh, I played the DS enhanced remake called Kirby Superstar Ultra and was blown away. The cumulative experience of uh, Superstar is incredible as each game builds and builds and builds on each other and uh, changes the dynamic and just takes all these amazing copy abilities, uh, some of which are like weirdly technical and introduce like kind of fighting game mechanics into it. Uh, I believe in an interview on, uh, yeah, yeah, when they released the SNES Classic Edition, uh, they did an interview with Sakurai and uh, he said that his uh, four goals was a cooperative two-player gameplay, which was a huge challenge because that's Miyamoto wanted people to play uh, multiplayer at the same time. But how do you do that on a single side-scroller? The helper system is introduced where Kirby can release uh, bad guys that he, instead of copying his abilities, bring them in as a helper, either controlled by the AI or a second player. Uh, So, you know, whoever's player one still kind of steers the ship but you can fight bosses together. You can look for collectibles together. You can do all sorts of things to play together. He wanted it to be an omnibus kind of thing uh, where uh, people could, uh, you know, do kind of fighting game inputs and have a higher level of play and kind of and stretch like how dynamically the copy abilities can change how the gameplay works in the game. And uh, oh, did I say four? Uh, in the interview, he says three. He had three pillars in mind. <laughs> <laughs> the fourth one was just fucking get wasted and have, you know, make love. Going back to basics, they've got Kirby's Dreamland 3 on the SNES in 1997. This brought back Kirby's Animal Helper Friends. Uh, there's also an option for co-op on that game as well. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for that. Kirby 64 is when he finally gets that kind of 3D treatment. Kirby 64, the Crystal Shards, uh, uh, came out in the year 2000 on the N64. It was actually a 2.5D plane, giving more depth to the levels, but maintaining its 2D platforming approach. The real big difference here is just that awesome power combo uh, game mechanic, which uh, was so fun to experiment with. Again, this great concept of like, I am a skilled enough player to like, 
that a baby's first platformer might not be that interesting, but the fact that you added this cool mechanic where we get to, you know, it was just exciting to get to each new level, explore some new combination of powers and and try them all out. It was just a lot of fun to to play through. Dreamland 2, uh, Dreamland 3, and Kirby 64 were all directed by Shinichi Shimomura and yes. are considered by fans to be the Dark Matter trilogy. Yes. Because they Let's all get share into it. the same uh, antagonist, this spooky uh, black orb with an eyeball in the middle known as Dark Matter that is consuming the universe. In Kirby 64, actually, the titular crystal shards, if you don't collect all of them, uh, if you kind of uh, you know stick to your easy mode guns... You just get a road ending where you beat uh, DDD. Whereas in uh, if you beat if you get all the crystal shards, that's where you get Dark uh, Matter Zero, the source of all the evil, who has the freaky Evangelion angel wings. And uh, yes, it's Zero Two actually. Zero first appears. Oh. Uh, I will say in Kirby's Dreamland Three. So yeah, and, all right. So Dreamland Two. You've got uh, Dark Matter, uh, which is just this black orb with a single eye. You fight him in space. You're like, why are we in this weird cosmic horror? Uh, why am I fighting a black hole all of a sudden? Then uh, Dark Matter appears in Kirby's Dreamland 3, along with a more powerful cosmic terror named Zero. And this is the rare instance for Nintendo where we get a full-on body horror shit. Zero shoots blood globs from slits that appear on its egg-shaped body until it takes enough damage, after which the eye at the center rips itself out mm. of the the egg body and, like, floats around with, like, it's all bloody and crazy looking. Uh, just look at a video. It's so funny uh, to see Kirby fight this thing. And then you have Zero Two in the N64 game. And, yeah, it straight up looks like the those it's the meme of like the lately people have been visualizing like biblically described angels or also a neon genesis evangelion angel it is so crazy looking and even in the more recent uh kirby's return to dreamland the boss fight against magalore a giant cosmic monster kirby and friends in order to defeat it must travel inside the giant beast and thrash its beating heart until it explodes you know just regular kirby stuff so funny. Yeah, I love that it has this dark turn. But also, too, there's a lot of dis- discourse around the fact that, like, Kirby is Kirby the most powerful, terrifying, uh, you know, no, creation. Because he is just like us. Though he is ca- capable of great destruction, he just, like Garfield, he's a lot like Garfield. He just wants to eat and sleep uh, throughout his days and only is summoned to uh, his cosmic level. When uh, a piece of cake he likes is stolen or if someone interrupts his nap or if a little fairy is like, can you please help me? And he's like, Poyo, okay. So from this point, we don't get a Kirby on a major console until the Wii. It totally skips the GameCube. And instead, we have a ton of releases uh, over on the DS and later the 3DS. Jake, have you experienced okay. these, I think, more than I have? So uh, the way this pans Oh, and the Game Boy Advance as so well. So it's... Sorry. Uh, Sakurai gets sucked into Smash World. Yeah. Smash is kind of the uh, be-all, end-all, and it takes up a lot of HAL Laboratory's time. The Kirby franchise is kind of handed off to uh, a developer known as Flagship that uh, works with Capcom, Nintendo, and Sega. They do a lot of different things, as well as Dimps, which is a name you might have heard before. They've worked on Sonic games. They've also worked on a lot of uh, Capcom games. And... Uh, this is many people's first uh, experience with Kirby, but it's titles like uh, Nightmare in Dreamland, The Amazing Mirror, and Squeak Squad 
that I really have very little experience with. I've tried playing them and they're just, I, it's, the sprite art is really charming. It has everything you'd want in a Kirby game. I just, I am very ill-equipped to speak on it. Uh, Nightmare in Dreamland is is just straight up a redo of the oh, that NES game, correct? Correct. Um, Amazing Mirror takes place in a alternate reality and has different colored Kirby's all helping out. And Squeak Squad has uh, funny mice characters that barely are ever acknowledged. <laughs> Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York. Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In terms of uh, how Laboratory and Sakurai, their main focus actually ends up being Kirby Air Ride, which, believe it or not, uh, was in development hell, started as a Nintendo 64 sequel to Kirby Bowl. They wanted a new Kirby's Dream Course in 3D. There were uh, demos of it displayed when the Ultra 64 was first getting promoted, and it just kind of lingered in development hell. It was only after it was given back to Masahiro Sakurai that it kind of uh, took on this new kind of thing where it was almost this perfect distillation of what Sakurai wanted, which was one button input with infinite complexity, where in Kirby's Air Ride, basically everything is handled with the A button. And instead of acceleration, you kind of uh, drift into turns using the A button. And when you release, you get out of the drift and boost forward. You also use the A button to swallow enemies, use copy abilities, uh, and even... uh, swallow enemies and spit them out and it is it had a huge no other racing game in the world played like this thing it got such a mixed response that it's it's now considered like a a a cult hit because once you're in the flow of Kirby's air ride you you get it yeah but if you if you're expecting like Mario Kart it's just kind of like, what the fuck am I doing? It kind of watching it gave me like a headache a yeah. little bit. It is so the energy is so frenetic and like crazy. It, it's like a yeah, it's kind of like Mario Kart on mushrooms or or on no on ecstasy pills. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> failed in its niche because uh, there is a beginner racer game on Nintendo platforms. It's called Mario Kart, and there is a hectic right. high speed uh, racing game on Nintendo consoles. It's called F Zero. And Kirby's Air Ride was just this weird little freak thing. But it does have that uh, Sakurai polish. It does have the booming uh, orchestral music. It has the fun menu systems. It has the fun mini games. It just was kind of a swing and a miss uh, commercially for HAL Labs. Yeah. While all this is happening, uh, while Flagship and Dimps is working on the advanced games, HAL Laboratories is hacking away at a GameCube 
Kirby game. Yes. Tons of demo footage exists of these things. They kept starting and stopping. At one point, they wanted a full 3D game, but they couldn't figure it out. They wanted like a uh, childlike pop-up book aesthetic, but they couldn't figure it out. It was just over and over again, starting and stopping and starting and stopping. And it wasn't until Good Feel Incorporated uh, st- uh, had this concept for a yarn-based game with a character named Prince Fluff that also mm-hmm. was hitting a wall that Nintendo kind of brought these two developers together and was like, uh, what if you combine your shitty Kirby game that you can't get off the ground and your shitty yarn game that you can't get off the ground and make it a Kirby yarn game? And that's where we get Kirby's Epic Yarn. Absolutely. Which was a return to uh, primetime AAA console Kirby games. And established a whole nother side series of games for characters like Yoshi, Kirby. You got Yoshi's Woolly World is the same kind of thing. And it was really novel at the time. Good feel. Hadn't done a ton of games before this. They uh, did do the Wario Land Shake It game for Nintendo for the Wii. They were kind of playing with the... You know, the Wiimote it's a great hardware game. and everything in, in certain ways. And uh, Goodfield's director wanted to play with the idea of a, quote, world of yarn. So his team went out and bought a bunch of store-bought cloth and just started experimenting with it. They actually used digital photographs of actual fabric and placed it under polygons to create that authentic feel. And look at that game again. It re- the, the aesthetic holds so up. Like, it is... Really novel, really interesting, and I think it just really—it's what Kirby needed, I think, in order to reinvigorate the the franchise a little bit. Because I do think there was definite Kirby fatigue, or it was just kind of getting lost on handheld. I think a lot of franchises kind of get go go to handheld and just get lost there, recreating the same. You know, Sonic was like that all through the DS era, you know? And um, so, yeah, this was really, really cool. It was actually originally planned for the GameCube, but it got canceled and reannounced for the Wii. And it just kind of bought them enough time to eventually put out Kirby's Return to Dreamland, also released on the Wii uh, later in 2011. And this was more of a return to form for the series. Uh, you get all, up to four players playing at once. And it was around that time that, that you know, you had the new Super Mario Bros., mm-hmm. Uh, as well that was playing a lot with like I mean I think a lot of Nintendo's uh, approach at this time was like it's the Wii we want everyone in the family in the living room together playing all of these games on this console so you know Super Mario New Super Mario Bros also had the vibe of like yes all four of you <laughs> the, the entire nuclear family can sit around this television and enjoy this video game uh, and it had you know yeah it had been developed in development for forever and uh, the project was helmed by uh, Shinya Kumazaki, who is the current mastermind, the current holder of the baton for the yes. Kirby franchise. Uh, he started out there in 2002 as a debugger on Kirby Nightmare in Dreamland, that Dreamland re- remake on Kirby's the, uh, Adventure remake. It's a, they, they get confusing. They get confusing. They do get confusing. Then uh, he moved up uh, as designer for Kirby Air Ride. He did design that game and later served as director on Kirby Superstar Ultra, Kirby's Dream Collection, all these. It's like Kirby, 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 Kirby. If you look at his resume, it's ridiculous. And uh, all the way up to and including Return to Dreamland and the next game, which we'll get into in just a second. And uh, you played that game, correct? You did a couch co-op experience with uh, Kirby's Return to Dreamland. Weirdly enough, uh, Return to Dreamland is the one uh, Shinya Kumazaki game I did not play. 
But, oh, I thought for some reason that you did. No, I played. Uh, I mean, he's had his hands all over this franchise for uh, about ten years now. Um, but Return to Dreamland, uh, the big kind of thing with that is uh, the four-player co-op, like you mentioned. Lots of big combo attacks. Lots of uh, ability. Lots of like kind of multiplayer-based uh, levels, and a lot of uh, you know you rely on the helpers. I think this is the one with Magalore where he puts on the big spooky crown. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, uh, the Shinya Kumazaki games all have, I'm talking uh, Return to Dreamland, Triple Deluxe, uh, Planet Robobot. What's the other one? Uh, Star Allies. And all those fun little mini games that they actually do where it's like the Battle Royale one, Clash Deluxe, all these like kind of one-off throwaway concepts that were like available on the DS and the Wii U as like fun little like cheap uh, mini games that you could buy was a immense reverence for the series history. Uh, Tons of Easter eggs, tons of uh, like little uh, throwbacks and remixes of previous levels. They still had Ishikawa and uh, what was, oh God, what's the name of his little partner? What's the name of his little partner? Uh, Hirokazu Ando. Actually, a uh, deep collaborator on the Kirby music front. So the music is always bopping in those. And almost, and all of them have some like uh, new character that Kirby initially is trying to help, who just absolutely betrays the fuck out of him by the end. <laughs> or a villain character that Kirby absolutely uh, wins over and they go like, oh, I was helping evil at the time? Oh no. But lush uh, 2.5D graphics. Uh, a lot of uh, secrets and like uh, exploration is rewarded if you just blow, th- if you just hold down uh, right on the control pad and jump. Like you can get through the games, but you won't. You'll be missing tons of rewards. You'll be missing extra levels. It definitely always rewards uh, exploration. And each one of these games has some kind of gimmick. In Triple Deluxe, uh, Kirby gets the Nova Fruit, which allows him to like power up and suck up giant things and solve puzzles with this extra superpower. Planet Robobot has the uh, mecha thing where Kirby has like a little robot guy that he can pilot and the robot can absorb powers. Um, Star Allies has even more co-op influences where you are enlisting characters both in the game and from games past. All of them have a decent level of challenge. All of them are beautiful. All of them have great music. All of them end with cosmic level god destruction fights. (laughs) They are amazingly solid, amazingly chill. Uh, I find them to be one of my favorite cozy games. Like uh, some people play Animal Crossing. Some people play Stardew Valley. When I plug in one of these uh, modern Kirby games, I just find myself really zenned out and happy and engaged and just getting all the little references. And I'm just like having a blast with them. I don't know. I just feel uh, I feel like he has been a decent steward of the uh, Uh of the franchise. But again, like we mentioned, that phase of Kirby, we've had 10 years of these style of games. Yeah. All kind of uh, building on each other. And uh, we are ready for something new. We're ready for that new era. Which is why I think we did this episode because that trailer dropped for this new Kirby game. It looks like that's something new that we that I think a lot of people wanted. And it looks so fun. Uh, this is Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Uh, Shinya uh, Kumazaki has stated this, quote, new phase will, quote, culminate in the best aspects of 
Kirby. It, it takes place in a post-apocalyptic war zone, and it is a full-on 3D Kirby game uh, with that mouthful mode. Um, it's essentially looking to me like a new, I think, Mario Odyssey-type deal, and I am here for it because I fucking loved Mario Odyssey, and I think that this will be in that same vein of just pure fun and joy, maybe hopefully a lot of Kirby nostalgia peppered all throughout it, uh, as Nintendo likes to do. I-, I think it'll be really, really a great time. Um, and so, yeah, we, we essentially why we decided to do this episode. I know we mentioned the the like edgy '90s commercials. Did we talk about how the internet discovered the hilarious difference between Kirby on the box art? Uh, we touched <laughs> on it, but yeah, no. Uh, I, only recently <laughs> so, have they so like to- have they finally given up on this. But in f- for the majority of Kirby's history, every Kirby game that is released in North America. His eyebrows are lowered into the angry position to prove that he's like <laughs> so determined funny. and a man of action. Whereas in all the Japanese box arts, he's like, Playo, hi, I'm Kirby. Fun. I feel like Reddit was like where I first saw mm-hmm. this. It is so funny. Look out. If, if for examples of this, check out the box art comparison for Kirby Mass Attack, Kirby's Return to Dreamland, and Kirby Air Ride. Just to name a few. It is just so hilarious that they had to tweak him to be mean and angry for the American release. Just says so much about the difference in cultures, too. It's it's so funny. And uh, uh, Kumazaki had this to say about it. What we have heard is that strong, tough Kirby that's really battling hard is a more appealing sign of Kirby in North America. So that's what we feature in the U.S. I just think that is so fucking funny. Um, Jake, what's up with this animated series? I mean, All right. please. So this aired on Saturday mornings on the Fox box from uh, <laughs> 2001 to like... Jake made me watch some 2002 of it. 2002 to 2009. It's There's a hundred episodes of it. It's I watched a lot of it uh, and I don't like it. I, it's a very generic <laughs> children's adventure show that just happens to have Kirby characters in it. And it's uh, there's a bunch of things that make it awkward. Uh, number one, uh, k- the animation for Kirby and King Dedede are fully CG while everyone else is cell animated. Hmm. King Dedede has a weird uh, bad Southern accent that has never been acknowledged or done anything with since. Uh, it's basically Foghorn Leghorn. Like, I say, what in the heck? Like, uh, K- Kirby, you done ate all my pies. Um, this plot eventually follows uh, the uh, Kirby's adventure where the final bad guy of the whole thing is uh, Nightmare, the Count Dracula-looking motherfucker from the NES game. But uh, in the meantime, King Dedede keeps ordering uh, giant fucked-up monsters from the Enemy Corporation, NME. Uh, He has a bunch of sidekicks. Uh, There's Tiff and Tuff, these little goober children that he's best friends with. (laughs) Kirby does not talk. He just says like, hi, and Kirby. Like there's nothing going on between his eyes. He is always referred to as a star warrior. Meta Knight has a huge uh, presence, except uh, he talks like Antonio Banderas. (laughs) I am Meta Knight. Ah, Kirby, (laughs) you are a wonderful warrior. Like very weird. He's the Nason XB basically. I, I, you know me, I love watching bad old cartoons, but this was just a little bit too much. If you grew up watching it and this was your, uh, you know, introduction to the Kirby universe, I'm sure you have tons of memories. 
the modern games are chock full of references to the series. It is definitely part of the history. But uh, and also another thing is the uh, staff behind it is a bunch of anime like old guard dudes. It's like for a lot of these guys, it was the last thing they ever worked on. Series director uh, Soji Yoshikawa literally started on stuff like uh, the original Lupin the Third and directed movies like uh, Ashida no Joe. It's like uh, uh, it's a very, very weird series. And I, it's just this it sticks out like a sore thumb when you're talking about the history <laughs> of Kirby because it is so bizarre. Yeah, I guess it's kind of interesting, you know. Oh, and the theme song it. is awful. Uh, April. Hit uh-huh. me with that Kirby, Kirby, Kirby. <laughs> Please. Kirby, 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 that's a name you should know. Kirby, 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 he's the star of the show. He's more than you think, he's got maximum pain. Kirby, Kirby, Kirby's the one. So, yikes. But also, what I was about to say was, um, you know, in actually ha- handling this franchise, one of the rare cases where I don't think we covered a single game where you're like, and here was the huge bad misstep for the franchise. Like, here was that awful Kirby game. I don't think we ever really have one. I mean, you could say it's like not doing anything different with this entry or Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's more the same or something like that. But I don't, there's not really a bad game in this franchise bunch. I'm not talking about the offshoot games. I mean, because God knows there's some shovelware in there. But I'm really, that mainline series, I mean, there's not a single game where I'm, if anything, you would think it would be this N64 game, but they actually did something really cool with that game. And I even personally remember us putting that game in uh, the console, you know, kind of like, well, let's see what this is like. And then really getting like weirdly hooked on it and like getting really into it. So yeah, congrats to you, Kirby, for actually maintaining a really solid um your portfolio of of great video games. I am really looking forward to this new one. I, I know I've already said that once, but I'll say it again. I think it's I think it's great. I love the swallowing the car thing. It's so upsetting looking. Um and but it got people talking and I'm I'm you know definitely all about it. I don't I don't think we mentioned enough how big of a deal Kirby is in the Smash Bros franchise. Um, which which he's almost he's kind of broken in one of the games. In right? the original game, he is absolutely broken, and every game since he is not he is maybe low middle tier if you are being super charitable. And then, but then also Meta Knight was banned from competition play uh, for what brawl or melee? I think brawl. Yeah. So also that I mean, weirdly it's enough, very clear this is a bit of creator. Kirby ephemera. But in the original design documents. Uh, Kirby was supposed to, uh, when he died, get knocked off the screen and explode just like in Smash Brothers, uh-huh. which is such an insane, like that that seed of an idea was with Sakura even back when That's he was fun. 19. That's cool. uh, but when asked about this, he said he had no memory of it. Oh, okay. But it is there. It's there in the documents. You can see it. Well, there you go. Uh, anything else before we wrap up this episode on Kirby? Um, in Kirby 64, there's the Shiver Star Galaxy, which uh, is definitely... A post-nuclear winter Earth, uh, which adds just another layer of fucked upness to the franchise. Um, uh, Kirby has a new friend in uh, the uh, upcoming game, and the fandom already knows that that little elven motherfucker is going to betray him by the final level. Absolutely. I guess... the You know, each one of these games is such a fun thing. The, uh, the, the design philosophy of Kirbyism, where... The difficulty is for the advanced players to find, and the base difficulty is for everyone. 
I think is really uh, an amazing kind of uh, outlier, I think, in a lot of ways, a commitment to accessibility without being shovelware, a commitment to quality. Um, it's just a uh, incredible thing where like the Kirby, uh, any Kirby game has something to offer and anybody can have fun with it, no matter what they're coming, what expe- expectations they're coming in. Uh, hell yeah. Agreed. And of course, uh, there's no Estes flask and there's no items to lose when you die. <laughs> <laughs> whatever get good punk all right um yeah no it's awesome i'm glad you know i'm glad there's both and i'm glad kirby exists for every souls game there's a kirby game that you can just have a fun romp in and i hope the franchise continues on and onward and i hope that wizard of the bruiser does the same that is our episode on kirby thank you so much for joining us if you'd like to support us further patreon.com forward slash whizbrew we're talking bonus episodes every single week for just five dollars a month uh, that is Wizard and the Newser, where we cover what's going on in current events and what we're currently playing, watching, enjoying. Uh, and we also are doing uh, the Year That Was series. We've covered the 90s. We've covered the 2000s. We'll take a single year and we'll talk about all the movies and video games and music and everything that came out that year and just kind of look at the year as a whole in terms of you know the stuff that we tend to cover on this show. Uh, we are... I think we might jump to the 2010s after we're done with the 80s here pretty soon. But regardless, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Check me out on twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. Uh, that's twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. Monday, Tuesday, Friday streams. I love it. And you will too. You'll definitely have to. So come there and be with me while I get upset or happy. All right, and Jake? Uh, follow me on Twitter, at BestJakeYoung. And uh, hey, I also do a streaming thing, but it's weirder and harder to explain than Holden's. <laughs> uh, if you go to YouTube.com slash PuppetJared, that's right, Puppet, like Puppet, Jared, like a random white guy's name, uh, you can uh, see me in my VTuber avatar as I stream a couple of times every week. But the re- the flagship program has to be the Thursday Cartoon Dumpster. I have a menagerie of, uh, of uh, copyright neglected cartoons from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. They are, uh, it's like animated uh, LSD and we watch it together, we react together, and we question our sanity together. It is genuinely a good time, and if you enjoy this show, uh, I think you will enjoy what we do over there. Go to youtube.com slash puppetjared, Thursday nights. I'll see you there. Hell yeah. And always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. 
Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.